Hi, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, my name's Adam J. Click. I'm the current sole developer and uh, producer of a game called Mr. Green the Mess Machine, which will be coming to Steam Greenlight later this month. And for the audience out there, where, they, where can they find out more information about the game or check it out while they're listening? Well, in the time between now and the Steam Greenlight, I'm going to be using the Steam Greenlight for a large portion of my community management uh, to start with. I'm available on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash mrgreengame or on Twitter uh, at mrgreengame. Okay. And um, so what's the game about? Well, the game is a 3D platformer with a unique aspect. Rather than running and jumping <clears throat> and doing all the things that you're used to platforming heroes doing, given that my character doesn't have any legs, he has extending arms that he uses to swing around. And I've sort of taken the idea of a 3D platformer and inverted it so that rather than jumping over the pit of fire, you're swinging under it. Okay, and, and what inspired you to make that game? Like what inspired? Like what was the motivation for it? Well, the the character himself was originally uh, an invention of my parents. Actually, he he. Uh, although I'm nobody out there has heard of him up until now, he's actually got a storied thirty plus year history uh, with me and my family. Uh, they invented him when I was nothing but a wee toddler. Uh, as a way to help make basically playful excuses for the fact that my room was always a complete mess and always had toys all over the floor. Uh, they invented Mr. Green, the mess machine, and basically his whole favorite thing in the world is to mess up kids' bedrooms and throw toys around and get them in trouble for it. And uh, in this game, he's been uh, kidnapped by the evil witch Van Itty, who hates messy bedrooms, and locked in the magic toy box, which he has to escape. Okay, and so then each of the levels, or each of the levels that gets him out of the toy box, or, or how does it exactly work? Like, yeah, each there's there's going to be uh, about fifty levels. I'm still deciding somewhere between you know forty and sixty, aiming for fifty, uh, as I filter things out. Uh, and each level is basically another step on his road to exiting the toy box. Yeah. Okay. And um, when? How how long ago did you start it? Uh, I started just under a year ago, uh, late 2015. Uh, oh, okay. I'd wow. been uh, unemployed for about three or four months, and and I'm living in a pretty rural area <clears throat> where the job market is uh, not all that grand, and. Uh, uh, I had been on a decent career path, but it wasn't going to go anywhere given my current uh, situation. So I decided to take on a project of my own and really just uh, go at it wholeheartedly. And, and I figured if there was anything that was going to motivate me, it would be uh, a game that I could basically create as a love letter to my parents. And uh, I figured for, for my first real independent project, uh, that's the way I was going to go. Okay, so, so this is your first game then? Yeah, in fact, okay. before I started this, my, my previous job was as a uh, news reporter for a small radio station uh, in the next town over. And oh. I had, while I while I was one of those people who was born with a controller in my hand, I loved video games and I played them my whole life. Uh, I didn't know actually much or of anything about programming or the specifics of development or e even how to use Unity, which is you know the engine <laughs> that I'm using to build the game with. Uh, yeah. So I've been teaching myself and learning the whole way through, uh, that's, and the game gets better as I get better. Yeah, I mean, that's inspiring, but 
what what how do you go from from kind of not doing any kind of coding or anything to finally saying you know what i'm gonna make a game like what what's the psychology and what's I mean, yeah, what's the, I guess, how do you, how do you get inspired to do that? Because it, it could seem daunting, right? Like a lot of, even if you're a newbie, you may not even know about Unity. Right. And it, it does seem daunting at first um, because it is such a specialized form of education. And I did have to find maybe three or four different layers of self-motivation that I worked with, you know, depending on which mood was trying to push me away from it. But really it was just a matter of, making the decision, telling myself, this is now the path that I am going to put myself on, and just kind of making that my obsession maybe for like a week or so, and then after that it started to come much more naturally. Uh, okay. And it was really just the case of the reasons that I started the game, you know, the, the yeah. intentions behind it, and the fact that this was something I really wanted to do. Did, did you see yourself then making more games in the future, or, or is this going to potentially just be a one-off game, or what are your thoughts? That's still something I debate with myself on a regular basis, and I think it's going to depend on how the game fares once it's actually uh, on the market. Okay. Uh, if, if, and and not, I'm not even talking about like financial success or commercial success, I'm talking about if it's received as an enjoyable game to the point that I feel like people would want more of my products. Okay. Uh, then, then it's definitely something I would want to stick with for sure. So, so the other thing is, when you started, why do you decide to use YouTube? And by the way, now now I've been seeing like more people saying, you know what, I just learned it off of YouTube, versus going to school or spent like going to game design class or whatever it is, um, game development courses or whatever it is. Um, what what inspires yeah. you that? Uh, obviously like the budget actually, yeah, yeah the budget is the, is the most obvious and glaring reason i can just sit here in my free time and and absorb knowledge and that's the beauty of yeah. the age that we live in today is there were millions upon millions of educational resources not just on youtube although youtube was great because i'm a very visual learner and there's a lot of varied ways that people teach even the most basic concepts of coding yeah. on youtube that you'll find one out there that kind of makes it click for you yeah. Uh, eventually, if you look through enough of them, but uh, other resources too. You know, there's plenty of websites and and uh, uh, questionnaire places where you can ask questions. There's uh, the IRC or the oh, yeah. I, yeah the IRC Freenode uh, chat with that is specialized for Unity 3D. Uh, whenever I'd come across any roadblocks that I that I couldn't find any resources for or any previous answers, that's usually one of the first places I'd turn and. I was always guaranteed to get an answer that was way over my head, but it helped me learn better. Okay. And when you started on this path, how did you how do you even know about Unity? Like how do you decide because there's like so much there's Unreal, there's what is it like CryEngine, there's Corona. Um how do you even find Unity? Uh, Unity, I've been told, uh, from what I had heard, uh, like I, I don't know a lot about the different game development engines. I know that yeah. there's a few now that are going a similar route to Unity, where they're trying to make themselves available to indie developers, uh, doing free versions and things like that. Unreal and uh, CryEngine, like you said, are, are going that route now. Um, and because I'd never really been in development, I'm sure there were a lot of other options that uh, that I had available to me. But Unity, I guess you could say it was either the most famous or the most infamous uh, standout game development engine. Uh, anyone out there who, who does watch YouTube and is into the gaming uh, 
culture probably knows who Jim Sterling is, and one of his favorite things to do in the world is rag on really crappy Unity games. Oh, really? Okay. So, uh, I wanted to make one that would not be a really crappy <laughs> Unity game. I wanted to make one that, that actually utilizes some of the, the benefits of the engine. And that's why I decided to go physics-based with it. Uh, not only that, but because I wanted to do a, a grab-and-swing type system, I think, from the very beginning. Ever yeah. since Spider-Man 2, way back in early 2000s, late 90s, the, the, the Spider-Man 2 video game, I've always kind of tinkered in my head with, if I was going to do a system like that or a video game like that, how would I make it work? And it actually turned out to be much different than I imagined it. Yeah. Well, when you start out... Do you have an idea on how long it will even take to make a game? You know what I'm saying? Like, like how, how could you even fathom that, okay, this could take five years versus maybe uh, a few months? Or, or I mean, when, when did you make the... Because you talked about that first week where it was kind of still a little wobbly and iffy. Um, yeah. You know, like, I guess, what, what were you doing during that first week that maybe turned it into, okay, this is the path I can definitely take? I think I started at that point doing a lot of research into prior game developers. Oh. Um, you know, there's the there's the indie game dev movie uh, about the guys who oh, made yeah. Super Meat Boy. That, that that's super popular. There's <clears throat> there's a ton to learn from that, um, and uh, just yeah, no, not I... really being uh, into the development side of things, but as a player, seeing all these rising stars come out of the indie sphere. You know, okay. the, the Super Meat Boy team. Uh, uh, Toby Wait. Fox, who did uh, uh, Undertale, uh, just tons of people who who are really making a name for themselves by developing good or original games. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to be part of that. And the thing about Super Meat Boy is it was done with the team, right? Or uh, I think it was a two-person job, as far yeah. as I know. So yeah. were you concerned that you didn't have someone else, or did you try to find someone else to actually? Well, go, unfortunately, go yeah. uh, most of my friends who would have been uh, available for a project like this, you know, they within the last probably couple of years, it's gotten to the point where they've all started moving on and uh, moving to other locations, starting families and and yeah. and getting on with their lives. And yeah, I'd, I I really had to just take this on myself uh, and okay. and go at it with uh with with as much gusto as I had. And I knew from the get-go, uh, I actually anticipated that this was going to be at least a six-month to a year project uh, when I first sat down and said, I am going to make this game. Uh, I knew it was going to be a long and dedicated project. And I said to myself, one of, like I said, I had many layers of motivation. And one of them was, you've never really done anything, a single project of this depth or magnitude that you did yourself. Uh, where you created something that you can then give to the world. And I think it's time, you know, I think I'm old enough where uh, if I don't do that now, uh, I'll probably regret it. Yeah. And do you feel it's even helpful to potentially find a partner or not? I mean, because that's that's the discussion I've been having with some of the recent interviewers or interviewees, which is, you know, solo development versus indie development. They're not the same thing. They're not, and uh, I think there's advantages and disadvantages in both. Obviously, the more people you have on a team, the more you can split the workload and the more you can take advantage of different specializations. You can have somebody who's a lot better at art than your programmer, and your programmer's a lot better at programming than, than your artist, and, and really work with specializations and educations. But the problem with that is 
you have to when when you're working with a team no matter how big or how small because games are such a complicated thing uh, because there's so many moving parts and so many gears turning uh, during during the process of a, of a game running of developing a game uh, it's you have to really make sure that your team understands what every piece of the game does and is for and even your artist needs to know how to code to some degree so that they can look through the code and see you know where certain yeah. effects need to go or or how to modify sound variables or whatever whatever i mean and and that takes a lot of added work in terms of coordinating in terms of commenting code in terms of making extra notes and making sure that all of the information of what each person is doing with the game is made aware to everybody else so that they can you know do their part without uh crossing crossing the streams if you would whereas with a single person developer it's much easier to just have a sheet of code that you wrote yourself that you completely understand every line of and it may yeah. be confusing to everybody else in the world but it makes your game work okay um so you continued you started on the on the path um how are you feeling after the first month of this new journey uh after the first month i was really realizing just how little I did understand about the process because I think by that point I had had to replan how I was going to build the grab and swing system probably four or five different times. I think I was maybe two to three weeks in before <clears throat> I really started figuring out how the physics joints unity system uh, work, uh, the physics joint systems work in unity okay. and uh, those became pretty much a core uh, uh, tool that I used in building the game. So really development of what the game is now didn't even probably start until a month or two after I decided to to start the project. And all throughout that time were you listening to YouTube videos or, or watching them or how was the training part of that? Oh every day. It was, it was something where I was spending every day eight to ten hours if not working with Unity and trying to build things. Yeah. Then learning about Unity and learning how to do the things I didn't know yet, and learning about uh, coding C sharp. What? Yeah. What's been the most effective thing you've done to actually just get better as quickly as possible? Um, I would just have to say working with it, uh, gaining experience okay. with. Uh, every time you you input a few lines of code and then you go back to the editor and it screams at you that something's wrong and you get all these exception errors, then you have to look through it and realize what you did wrong, and then that's that that's basically how you learn. Then you 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 understand what it is that the system wants from you, and then you can learn how to translate what you want through the code to the computer, and it just kind of becomes it's it's like learning a language in in, in every yeah. way. Uh, and, and it really is just uh, immersing yourself in it. Did you think about maybe releasing smaller games first just to get practice, get more experience, get feedback on your way to this game? Or do you feel that going directly to this game was the best choice? Well, um, I actually did play with a couple other game ideas, but not with the intent to do anything with them or to produce them. But because some were pre-made tutorial projects where... Uh, like Unity has a, a space shooter project where they'll give you all the assets and basically oh, yeah. okay. teach you how to build the game. And that's all good stuff. And and other little things just to learn a bit more about physics and collision and get the basics. But yeah. I knew from the get-go that this was going to be 
the project, that it was going to be Mr. Green the Mess Machine getting his own video game. And if it, it, it all the time that I spent <clears throat> not working on that was time that I was losing motivation because... Okay, so you felt that working on the other games kind of distracted you, and, and so using those as stepping stones may not have been the best approach. I think they were good stepping stones because I needed to learn the basics that they taught me. Okay. But I didn't stick with those for more than <clears throat> uh, even, I would say, a week. Okay, uh, yeah. Literally, well, I downloaded I... that Unity tutorial I was talking about and did that thing overnight uh, within the course of a night. I did all the tutorials and assembled the game and was playing it the next morning. And uh, after that, I said, okay, uh, I'm going to actually start working on my game now. Okay. And little by little, it was just kind of going back and forth between an experimental game that I would use to learn something that I wanted to incorporate into my game, yeah. and then actually working with it in my game and finding out how to best do so. So how do you balance that, you know, doing these kind of experimental games to at least, first of all, understand, you know, what you may need to do in your final game, and also just develop your skill set? Um, I think it's just a, a matter of, of... Or do you feel that's even necessary now, given where you're at in your game project at this current point? Do you feel that doing those experimental games matter, or it's, it gets in the way, or what are your thoughts? Oh, at this point, I haven't touched those in, in months. You know, I've been way too focused on the, on the current project, but they were good for letting me explore different tools uh, and, and different okay. uh, things that, that Unity allows for. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm... In, 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 in ways that weren't exactly what I wanted for my game, but that rather helped me learn more about the actual specific tool. Yeah, and online there are like YouTube videos, just literally like 40, <laughs> 40 different sessions to make a game. Did you, did oh, you yeah. feel inclined to actually do any of those or, or care about those or what are your thoughts? Actually, there's a number of the YouTube series where it's like, let's make a dinky little basic game. Oh, yeah. Uh, and without actually following along, I would spend uh, days at a time watching and rewatching several of those kinds of videos, seeing how the guy put together specific mechanics or elements of the game and how he yeah. drives, uh, say, the physics or the, the save script or things like that. And yeah, I totally used. Uh, those kinds of things as inspiration for how to how to make my framework, uh, okay. I guess you'd say. Um, and did you feel that it was? Could could you actually understand or learn? Well, I guess if you watch them several times over and over, then then it would sink in. Because I was just wondering the balance between watching something and then actually doing it. Yeah, well, I think for a lot of those, you at least have to look into. Uh, other resources that will teach you the format of the code and why okay. certain lines have to look the way they do <clears throat> so that you can know things like ending every command with a semicolon or when to use closed brackets and what they're actually for and things along those lines. Uh, and then once you start understanding the fundamentals of the, I guess you could, you could call it the grammar of code, then you can start watching these videos where people are coding and you'll start to understand what they're doing with that grammar and the ways that it yeah. can be manipulated. For, I mean, now, you know, current, present day, do you feel the need to watch, or do you still watch a lot of YouTube videos related to Unity and game development? Oh, I think anyone who develops games will tell you that it's an art, and anyone who does any art can tell you that you never stop learning uh, you're you're always adapting your style. You're always you know you always want to think you're improving, and the people who consume your work may not always agree. But you're always changing, and you're always learning uh, as an artist. That's just part of the part of the gig. 
But do you feel that learning now the learning is through YouTube or now now because you're you've got more experience, you literally have to either do your own prototypes or your own experiments um, or, or, some oh, other, or some other. Method. Yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. And I am starting to get to a point because a lot of the material for learning on YouTube is very um, beginner based. It's very much introductions to different functions or mechanics or code types yeah uh, or or basic things for like how to create a very simple uh, stage select screen or menu or something along those lines I am beginning to get to the point where it's gonna start being more important for me to actually start communicating with other experienced game developers and kind of sharing the tricks of the trade and I think that's a uh, once you get a certain level of knowledge in in any craft uh, that's kind of the the way it has to go is you can learn the fundamentals but then you have to actually start learning from the people who do it uh, okay. because there's only so much a, a classroom or a video can teach you any other I guess techniques or things that you've utilized as you are going from from you know no knowledge to actually now almost completing your game that you can share with the audience in terms of ways that you got better as quickly as possible or effective as quickly as possible. Um, dedication. Uh, I know. I know. I've said it a lot through this interview, but really, just saying, I will now for the next X number of days, weeks, months, obsess over nothing more than how to develop, how to how to code, how different games are put together. I'm going to watch videos about how the ray casting works in Super Mario Galaxy so that he can jump between the planets like he does. Uh, just everything along those kinds of lines. You really just have to dive into the deep end and try not to drown. Okay. And um, I guess, did you start learning the theoretical math too, or was it mainly sticking to the oh, Unity tools? Too? I still know almost nothing about the math involved, but uh, when it comes down to C-sharp coding and coding for Unity, there yeah. is very little actual math. Yeah, uh, instead, it's, it's, it's just logics, and it's, it's uh, you know, a, a thousand little switches, and each switch uh, affects something in the game. And you turn them off and on, and, and and things happen. And then it turns into a video game. <laughs> yeah. um, the way that I've looked at it, uh, within the, the software and technologies fields these days, a lot of people like to look at software professionals as wizards. And that's a fun analogy, because I can take that and say, hey, if all software developers are wizards, then game designers are master illusionists, because that's what they do that's what we do is we take a bunch of software and code that says this is something that looks like a person and this is something that says these parts move this way and you're not actually crafting a person but you're crafting an illusionary facsimile of a person that you want to try and make as believable as possible so you're like an interactive magician i i like to think so i okay. mean it's 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 a little uh, guilty pleasure. I have that good way to have pride in the work. Yeah, and I guess um, besides besides the training part, I guess what other things were you doing related to getting your game out there, getting feedback, and just seeing that you're on the right path? Because you had an idea initially. Yes. And, and how do you how do you determine that? Okay, this is you know this has potential now. This 
you know, you could work a ton on it, but it may not just be working out. I mean, when did you get a sense that, okay, this could work? I think I had a slight advantage in that over some younger developers or people who have always had more interested in, who've always been more interested in the software side of things. The people who've been trying to learn code since they were 12, uh, they've kind of always had code in their eyes when they look at video games. There, there is that kind of thing. Once you start <clears throat> learning this side of video games, you're, you're, you're pulling the curtain back and you're, you're seeing how it all works behind the scenes. And uh, uh, that gives you a different look at things. And I think uh, over time, that can actually dissuade you from the experiences that players have and that players look for. So the fact that I was 33 years old before I started writing my first lines of code means I have more just pure player experience to look back on and judge my game by and realize that if I'm having fun with it and if a year later I still smile when I pull off a slick move or a really good set of swings then it's it's legitimately a fun game and I can probably run with that. And were you play testing it a lot too as you were developing it or, or what was the process? Uh, I personally play tested it a lot and I did try and get as much outside feedback as possible even as an indie developer even as a solo developer you're always gonna have to get other people looking at your game because you're gonna be seeing it through rose-colored glasses as yeah. you develop uh, and it is important to get uh, either feedback from people online there's resources on on the game dev uh, sections of reddit to have people try out your games there's there's feedback Friday and play my game and we've talked about those previously yeah. Uh, and uh, and just having your friends try it out, or or finding a, a game uh, shop like a a gaming store nearby where you can set up a little booth and hey, come play my game for you know ten minutes, and I'll buy you an hour of being able to play Counter Strike or something. Okay. I mean, you'll have to make little sacrifices for it sometimes if yeah. you have other. Uh, you don't have ways of, of getting feedback from, from friends or family or, or online. It's worth it, I think, to, to go out and maybe just pay some people five or ten bucks to, yeah. to play your game. And don't expect feedback from them in what they say, but just silently watch them play and see what their... Just watch their face as they play. Are they smiling or are they frustrated? Are they thinking or are they confused? And and those are the things that you want to take note of. And did you think as you're developing this that maybe, you know, instead of waiting until the end of release to, to start making revenue from it, I've seen some indie developers actually figure out a way where they're literally making money while they're developing. You know, like like not even in the final release, like Yandir Simulator, where I don't even think they've released it yet. And yet they're, they watch, a yeah. lot of people watch that. Yeah, there are ways to go about doing that. Um, unfortunately, there are also a number of developers or would-be developers who have abused many of the ways of doing that. A lot of people don't trust Kickstarter these days the way that they used to. A lot of people uh, will shun a game if it's got an early access title on it because uh, there's been so many games that were released as early access and then never went anywhere and they weren't even that good as an early access game. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword. It's one of those things. If you want to try and do it, you have to make sure you're doing it right. And you'll probably want to have uh, an established 
name within the industry. People will want to know already who you are, or they're probably not going to want to back you up. Okay. And so as, as the time progressed, you're developing your game. Um, I guess three months in, how, how were, like, where were you like, in terms of um, progress on the game? At three months, I would say I was starting to get a better handle on what the final product was actually going to look like. I'd had a pretty clear idea from the beginning of what I wanted it to look like. Yeah. And uh, I was starting to get... Uh, with At the three-month point, it was still mostly developer art and prototyping, but it was prototyping of the systems that the game actually does run on today. That was, that was really the best... Uh, Okay. Time that 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 it looked like what it is today, uh, and so three months. Yeah. In, was that August two thousand fifteen? Was it September two thousand fifteen or December two thousand fifteen? Well, I started around I started around November, so that probably would have been like January or February. Oh, of two thousand sixteen, or. Yeah, and at that point, I didn't even have any stages in place. I was still mostly using um, just uh, makeshift playgrounds of pre-made primitives that I could uh, try and work the mechanics around and start figuring out, you know, collisions and how things are supposed to operate. And it, it was still very much early prototyping, but by that point, like when I first, first started the project, I was trying to literally code in every movement of the hand, uh, hard coding it with transform movements okay. and not utilizing the physics at all. But by the three month point, I was utilizing the physics movements and the physics joints and gravity and, and all of the tools that, that uh, operate those things. And I had the, the start of actual, you could call them programmer art, but you know the character was starting to look like he would look like. I wasn't just playing with a box and two spheres. Uh, and trying to make those do things. And then, I guess, okay, after the three-month point, at, at month four, where, where were you at at that point? Uh, month four was probably when I started working on actual stages. And okay. at that point, uh, I had a much grander idea for what the game was going to be than I was capable of. I wanted to have like three or four different game modes. I wanted to have uh, smaller challenge levels and then large open world stages uh, that would function like uh, like Super Mario 64 where you've got the overworld that ties together smaller stages and there's goals within each stage. Yeah. And I wanted to go that way with it, but there... That kind of stage management and save management and and uh, it takes a lot of background programming that yeah. I don't feel like I would have been able to do the idea justice. So since then I've ended up sticking with just the smaller stages that were initially supposed to be the challenge modes and uh, you know well, working within my means. I feel like that's the thing. Sometimes when a programmer or developer looks at something, they're like, "Oh, I can finish this soon." But it, I don't know. Like games can keep on going forever you know what i'm saying like the development can just keep on creeping or, or i don't know what it is but it's like like even right now um you know it seems like you're you're close to having your game done and yet it seems like there can be things that creep up or get in the way or what are your thoughts like how do you balance actually getting this game done because it seems like you could have potentially finished it in four months rather than having to spend extra extra time 
if I had come into it with the education and the understanding of development that I have now, that's very true. I probably could have done the entire project in four months. Uh, and that's simply because I've gotten to the point where when I type a few lines of code into a script and go back to Unity, it does what I wanted it to do instead okay. of me having to fight with it for the better part of a day to try and figure out how the line of code was actually supposed to be written. Okay. A lot of that is experience, but there, I think even for the most experienced developers, there's always unseen roadblocks yeah, that but, pop up along the way. Um, okay, so at month five, where where were you at? What were you deciding or, or thinking at that point? At that point, I had a much more uh, solid version, a very, a very much working prototype of the fundamentals of what the system would be, and I think months five and six were almost purely debugging and smoothing it out so that okay. it felt the way I wanted it to, so that it had a, a very, so that the hands uh, could not only be used to grab and swing, but I think that's when I started first implementing the beginning of the grab and throw system that lets him grab little toy blocks and throw those around with the same control scene. Okay, and that he uses to swing. So month six was May two thousand sixteen, right? Or, yeah. Okay, um, and I mentioned this to the audience because at that point, I think I posted something on the Reddit forums for or the game like R slash Game Dev, I think. Um, yes. Where it was like a mentorship to help people or help someone make their game or improve their game. Um, yes. And you responded. Some other people responded, and um, finally we. We set something up, and so you had the so the mentorship thing started, I guess, in month six, for you, for your for your project. Uh, and, six to seven sounds about okay. right. Yeah, and and I guess at that point, were you thinking that the game could be done quickly, or how long were you thinking before the mentorship started? How long were you thinking it would take to finish the game? I was thinking that I was still going to be on board <clears throat> for at least another six months, and okay, and. Well. Yeah. That's that's still not too far off. I've still got probably another two to possibly three, depending on how much uh, how things progress. Uh, you know, and, but... and what's crazy is that, and I just want to discuss this, not to harp on anything, but it's like, it feels like you're close, but then, you know, you feel like you're far. It's like, because you've kind of narrowed, since the mentorship, you've kind of focused on certain things, you've you've solidified other things, and you've narrowed down the scope of the game so that there's not feature creep kind of like what was kind of happening before or yeah. like adventure mode whatever so you've got 50 levels you need to complete and and yet in the pre-interview i think or even before that you're saying it's going to take two months to complete it and and for 50 levels i like i feel like why wouldn't it take a week to complete it and i understand well, I like like it just may be the quality, and plus there are other subtle issues like tutorial and just making sure that yeah. it actually works. And, and and I'm just saying that because like I feel like sometimes you can look at a project and say, okay, this can get done, but then there's like these little unforeseen things like that you kind of mentioned before that kind of can get in the way. And the real question is, is how can you accelerate that development so that it doesn't take two months or six months? It can take like two weeks or two days. I think the some of the best advice on that front would probably be to have a very clear like a lot of it's just going to come from experience. I don't think it's something that that a person can do on their first big project and expect okay. to have go smoothly. Um, but knowing knowing what you can do, knowing what you you know within your skill set and within the engine, um, and having a clear vision of what you're going to do. Um, 
and pre-planning, like pre-planning and preparation is, is critical. Yeah. Uh, because that's what's going to allow you to create those foundations and those fundamental mechanics for your game and not have to go back and rewrite them or modify them as you try and build the game around them because this part doesn't fit or this part doesn't work with this, etc., uh, etc. Et okay. And I guess um, I'm trying to figure out what, what are your concerns at this point with the project? I mean, now you're, you're getting closer. And I know during the mentorship, we also discussed marketing, which I feel like you didn't necessarily do before then. Um, yeah, I've been very lax on marketing, and that is probably going to come back to bite me. Yeah, so what are your thoughts then? Um, given, the, given the mentorship thing, I guess what things are you going to change moving forward that you, know, you wish you would have potentially known earlier? Or, or now you've got a, a different perspective that, that has changed maybe what you're doing? Um, I think I'm beginning to understand why in a lot of games the first hour or so always seems like the most exceptional part of the game and then things kind of get stale from there. <laughs> the importance of the new player experience and how much actual development goes into that specifically, the opening cutscene, the title screen, the first three to five levels, you know, that, that first... 10 minutes to an hour of gameplay is hugely important and it probably takes up up to half of the actual development of the game yeah uh, just in the amount of <laughs> <clears throat> we talked about uh some, what's called juicing within the industry uh which is yeah. basically just adding effects and sounds and little bits and bobs and satisfying things that happen uh that make your game alive yeah and so i guess that I takes guess... a lot of work yeah so I guess those two months, it really could be that you could do the basic rough, no no frills, no polish type thing in a week, but it's just going to be all those other things that you're talking about, which is the, the tutorial, the prototype, you know, whatever else, it's, that's going to be needed to actually make sure that it's a smooth experience for the player. Yeah, and well, I mean, not just the tutorial, but yes, down the, the sound effects, the, the menus, yeah. the things along those lines. And... Uh, it really does seem like, from the development side, putting the, the 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 necessary amount of work into those and realizing that it does take a lot of work. That's actually a very large portion of what you'll be doing if you decide to go into indie game dev is is working on that new player experience and working on what's what what uh, juicing on on effects and and making the game alive. Uh, but that's what separates the good games the from the really good games from the crap games yeah and and what are your thoughts on what are you going to do related to marketing because you know i i once interviewed a guy uh, from pixel trickery games and on the first day of his kickstarter he got covered by kotaku or no rock paper shotgun or something like that and yeah and part of that was because he laid those foundations earlier on is that something you're doing now or what what's the plan at this point for the marketing I've been trying to, and I've been trying to kind of, uh, rather than really promoting standard marketing, I think, like a lot of people would, I've been trying to just kind of act as my own word-of-mouth uh, type of person, where I just kind of bring it up in casual conversation where I can online, wherever it seems to fit. Uh, but I think the main tactic that I'm betting on at this point, because I haven't submitted it to any, uh, form of press or review or anything like that yet, uh, 
uh, is to do all that with a really big splash. Uh, I'm not going to launch my green light until I have a solid 10-stage demo that really represents that new player experience that I'm talking about and shows people what the game is going to be like from, from that point on out. Yeah. And, uh, and you've been once getting... I can... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, my plan is to, to, to finish up that demo and get it out to press, and then as they're getting around, you know, as, as that happens, at the same time, launch the green light and really just drop it, drop it all at once and just try and, uh, you know, kind of bust out of nowhere. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know how well that's going to work, but I, I was so lax in marketing up to this point that it seems like it's going to be my, my only choice. And, and you've been also getting, trying to get feedback from Reddit, sub, subreddits and stuff. So, yeah. so that's kind of beneficial. Um, so I guess given your understanding, what would you have done differently six months ago related to the marketing? Or, or do you feel that like you couldn't really start marketing anyways because you're just learning game development at that point? Yeah, I, I didn't want to even start marketing until okay. I had uh, gotten the game to a point where it was worth showing off. And okay. uh, by that time, I was so... Uh, knee-deep in the actual development work that trying to put aside the t time for marketing um, it's just really hard to balance yeah um, so I guess uh, as you know as a solo act yeah and so moving forward what are you going to you know aside from some of the development stuff are there any other things you're going to be doing in the next two months um, Either improve your craft, or reach out to other developers, or just, um, or whatever else. Like any other plans? Or... Well, uh, I mean, I'm obviously going to continue to learn. Yeah. Uh, over the next two months, I'm probably going to be spending most all of my time uh, developing the rest of the content for the game that's not finished yet. I still have some anime. Okay. Missions that need to get put in there. I still need to. Uh, work on the intro and some of the tutorial stuff. You know, there's still plenty of work to be done between now and then. Uh, so there's that, that's probably where my focus is going to be. But in terms of trying to improve as a developer, um, I think that's something I'll have to wait until the game is making some money so that I can afford to go to the places where developers are. Okay. And so the game itself, what what are your thoughts at this point, um, given your initial desire and where it's at right now? Can you? talk about how you're feeling at this point yeah basically since probably the second week of, of your mentorship program with me I have felt really positive about the current uh, uh, the current pace of the game where it is and where it's going and the fact that it's 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 a real thing now like the it's it's kind of like standing in the middle of the Sahara Desert uh, you know, you, you, you look back over your shoulder and you see nothing but desert, and you look out in front of you and you see nothing but desert. But at some point you have to tell yourself, the amount of desert that I have put behind me is vast compared to what I have left to the oasis ahead. Uh, yeah. And, and just, you know, I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Got it. Um, I think... <laughs> I guess so. Uh... Yeah, I mean, so that's good. And so do you feel like this is going to be the game that you would potentially play yourself all day? Or what What are your thoughts on that? How do you get to a point where it becomes your de facto favorite awesome game? Or do you feel that that can happen with this game for you? 
I don't know if I'm making this to be that kind of game, um, because the kind of game that I would sit down and play all day would be something like an MMO okay. or uh, a MOBA or something that is that really does require investment. I think this game, by the end of it, is probably only going to have three or four hours of playtime throughout the whole campaign, but the replay value is going to be in the grab-and-swing system itself. Uh, and 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 having fun with that and finding shortcuts and uh, I'm looking into adding collectibles into some of the stages which can give alternate goals and uh, for the people who are completionists who want uh, to be able to have maybe a second ending or uh, yeah which might, some some kind of bonus which maybe can happen after green light right because this this goes into the feature creep again right like or skull yes. creep. Yeah, know, that's man. why I mean, that's I'm the thing. being I mean, kind of iffy when I talk about it because it is something where it's if everything goes smoothly, I would yeah. like to add this before release. It's uh, difficult because you want to be like, look, I want to have all these different options, you know, to make sure that people feel that it's a worthwhile game. And at the same yeah. time, if you keep on doing that, it never gets done. Yeah, and it's it's like, it's like a painter. When you know, yeah. which stroke is the last one? When do you when do you say that the Mona Lisa was finished? Yeah, so, so what do you feel is the best approach to this? Because on one hand, you're like, oh, if you don't have collectibles when you put it on green light, then it's like, okay, well, so this is a, this is a game and it's got 50, or, you know, it's got a certain level of challenges. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a matter of prioritizing. I mean, really, when it comes okay. down to it, game development is just a series of decisions. Uh, about how you're going to build a certain mechanic, about how you're going to utilize that mechanic, about what different buttons are going to do, and and about what the player is going to experience at any given point. And uh, you just have to prioritize the ones that you can do uh, over the ones that you can't, and then out of the ones that you can do, uh, find out which ones the game can live without and which ones it can't. And it's it, it really is just a matter of uh, of, of deep examination of, of your plan and what you want the final product to be. Where do you see, I guess, in general, the games industry going? I mean, is it something where you feel that indie developers are still going to have an opportunity, or is it going to be consolidated by these massive um, studios? Uh, what are your thoughts? I think. Uh, you know, people like to compare the games industry to Hollywood very often, and there's plenty of similarities, and I feel that it's it's regularly a fair thing to do. But I think the indie game scene is going to have a much greater longevity and presence compared to the mainstream uh, corporatized game uh, industry uh, as compared to the ratio that you find of Hollywood compared to indie uh, film production. Uh, whereas indie film production does still have a uh, a very passionate audience behind it, uh, it doesn't reach the mainstream levels as often as I think indie games are going to. Uh, okay. Because a game is something where uh, it can be very simple, and simple can be very fun, and if you can manage to strike that balance, then then that's really all it takes for something to be successful. Okay, and so you feel like it's going to be like movies in the sense that every year there might be new indie games that people pick up versus something that's more like a service where it's like, okay, people are already watching these types of TV shows, you know, this TV show, and so they don't have time to watch other TV shows. 
you know, like for example, League of Legends. If they're playing League of Legends, they may not have time to play your gamer multiplayer thing or whatever. Yeah, uh, well, it, the thing with that, and, and World of Warcraft is a great example of this. Uh, every, you know, everybody who's played WoW has quit WoW and then has played WoW again at some point. And it, it, with League of oh, Legends, yeah, it's true. the same thing. It, it, it's kind of like a sine wave where at, at some point you're playing it and then you move on and you play other stuff and then you come back to it. And, and I think a lot of people are going to have that one big game that they come back to regularly and spend vast amounts of time with. But I also think that uh, throughout the years, what that game is for them uh, could change. People who were that way with World of Warcraft may be that way today with League of Legends, and people who used to be that way with League of Legends may be that way today with uh, Smite or or some other game. Uh, and, and it's really just a matter of, yeah, there's always going to be that one game that's, that, that people go to as their regular game, but there, there's always going to be the other games in their library that they have for when they don't feel like playing that one game. And any thoughts on the Warcraft movie? I mean, have, have you? I haven't seen it. I, you, I can't even say that I've had a great or... deal of desire to okay. see it. Uh, simply because I've never felt that the lore and story of Warcraft was its strong suit. Okay. Did you uh, ever play World of Warcraft? Or... I, I did technically play World of Warcraft, but I only ever got a rogue to like level 32. Okay. Well, that's still pretty and, good, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I was, I was, when it comes to MMOs, I was an EverQuest kid uh, back in like okay. 1998 or something like that, like when that was still new, and that was where my MMO addiction uh, came from. And then after that, it spurned out into all sorts of different things. And and <clears throat> I think because I was already, I already knew what MMOs were. World of Warcraft was great for people for whom it was their first MMO. Okay. But the downright hardcore experience of EverQuest kind of made World of Warcraft not all that appealing to me in comparison by the time it came out. And, and why do you think EverQuest never became as big as World of Warcraft? I think for a while it was. I think... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean I World of Warcraft really general. did explode when it first came out, but yeah. that the, EverQuest was the king of the market up until World of Warcraft, and, and World of Warcraft got where it was because of great economy design and great presentation, and that was one thing that EverQuest was kind of maybe not so good on. The graphics weren't all that great, the spell effects weren't too flashy, but I loved the, the first world aspect of it. I loved the role-playing aspect of it. I had never felt more immersed in a virtual world than I did with EverQuest back in the day. Yeah, and does that inspire you then? You know, you talk about nostalgia to an extent. Does that inspire you to make an MMO in the future? Or what are your thoughts? I'd like to make an MMO, but the size of team that is necessary for that, yeah. um, I don't know that I would operate well within. I seem to work best on my own with this kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or maybe with a, with a very small team of like-minded people. I think I would prefer to stick with uh, simpler games. Uh, arena shooters maybe in the future is something that I've been thinking about. Uh, but adventure games and platformers uh, have always been a, a great source of just pure gaming fun for me. And those are always something that I would like to go back to. For listeners out there who are looking to start their first game, um, and maybe they don't even have any experience, what suggestions do you have for them to actually get on the right path? Um, 
utilize the official educational resources wherever they're available and by official I mean like if you're gonna be using uh, Unity's game engine then read the Unity tutorials, read the information that they provide uh, and, and try and get as okay. much of a basic understanding of that as you can. Secondly, be aware that even if you're trying to do a simple game uh, you're probably in for months and months of work. It will be an extended project, and it will be something that you have to dedicate yourself to, or it'll never, it'll never happen. Okay. And anything else? Any other suggestions? Or those two are um, pretty much, and they're powerful. So yeah, if okay. if you're able to mentally prepare yourself for what it takes, then you shouldn't have too much of a problem. Because like learning a language, once you've immersed yourself in it for a period of time, uh, it does start to become much easier, and it, it will uh, probably become fun. I remember there were lots of probably some of the most exciting times I've had uh, were when major functions of my code finally worked right after days or weeks of, of hammering away at them. Uh, it, I, I think the only other time I felt that good was beating a really hard boss in a video game. And it's, it, it's going to feel like that probably when we were talking about month two or three. Uh, yeah. There's that point where every line of code is like an enemy in Dark Souls. You know, and you have to learn that enemy, and you have to learn how it how it works. And then once you do, you can just start killing that enemy by the dozen. And then you get these big major mechanics that are like bosses. And once you get those figured out, once you get them nailed down, you feel fantastic about it. Okay. And once again, um, where can listeners find out more information about the game? Yep. Uh, Twitter. Uh, Currently available on Twitter at Mr. Green Game and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mr. Green Mess Machine. Great. Uh, thanks again for your time. Take care. Uh, thank you. This was great. Thank you. Yep.